Good morning to each and every one of you. I want to thank all of you who are praying for us this week. Um, somehow I contracted something in the beginning of the week, and it's been pretty tough. Uh, but thanks to your prayers, I'm able to be here with you today. And so I thank the Lord and thank you all for your prayers and your concern. Let's pray together. Father, we can never pray enough. You tell us in your word to pray without ceasing. And whether we stop and we pray audibly with our voices or we pray silently in our heart, the idea is to have an attitude of prayer and dependence upon you. And certainly, Lord, that is our desire today. That, Father, as we come before you, that we want to hear from you, Lord. We know that the world is speaking messages to us constantly through the media, through all kinds of ways. And, Father, what we need to hear is what you have to say to us. Things, Father, that will nourish our soul. Things, Father, that will feed our souls. Things that will stir our soul once again for you. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that, Father, uses it masterfully and applies it to the needs and situations of our heart. And we look to you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, it really doesn't matter whether it's in the field of science or the arts. People are always looking for examples to follow. Right? Right. Consciously or unconsciously, knowingly or unknowingly, who we are and what we do is a combination of habits and traits we have embraced from many different people who have crossed our paths. For example, uh, don't raise your hands, but how many of you would say that, yeah, I've been impacted by someone special in my life. Uh, perhaps some of you have been impacted by a parent. Some of you have been, been impacted by a sibling. Some have been impacted. Impacted by a friend, maybe a teacher, maybe a co-worker, or maybe even an entertainer. <laughs> the God uses all kinds of people in our life to make us who we are. The list can go on and on and on. But the point is, good examples help us to be good in terms of who we are and what we do. And in the spiritual life, it's not much different. It's important for us to have good examples. Uh, for example, for the believer, our ultimate example is who? Jesus Christ. We are to be more like him. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. After we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, it makes this startling this, this uh, statement. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And so for us, for you and for me, if we know Jesus Christ is our Savior, the next point, that our goal is to be more like Christ. Paul understood this, and that's why he said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. In other words, to be more like 
Christ. Paul understood it. He understood that he may not be perfect on this side of heaven, but he didn't give up. He kept pressing on towards that. Now, as we read this and as we hear this, I'm sure some of you are saying to yourself, it's easy to read about, but it's really hard to do, right? That's what happened to me when I read this. It's easy to read about, but it's really hard to do. We all need the, all the help and motivation we can get to keep growing in Christ. There are so many discouragements. There are so many challenges, so many mountains to climb to be like Christ that sometimes we just get flat out discouraged. We lose steam. We just run out of desire and passion to do that. And that is where finding good examples and being good examples comes into the picture. Where do we find good examples? What do they look like? How can we stay motivated in our quest to be more like Christ? And for the answer to this, we have to go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And you know Paul had just got through saying what? He said that my goal, my entire goal of my life now is to be more like Christ. And so he was turning his direction upon that. But then he comes out and he comes out and says, now this is how we can do this. Now, but to get the full impact of the passage and to get the full impact of the book of Philippians, it helps for us to recount where we have been. The, the epistle of Philippians is centered on the theme of joy, that deep inner sense of peace and contentment, even in the midst of tough times and circumstances. It's important that we pursue joy. It's important that we understand joy. Why? Because it's better than happiness. It's better than happiness. Now, many people would say to themselves, hey, I'll settle for happiness. <laughs> if I could just get a little bit of happiness, I will be happy and I will be content. But actually, is that really true? Is that really true? Not really, because happiness is so temporal. It's so temporal. If you look at um, uh, Scripture, you understand this even more clearly as Paul begins to draw out the lines a little darker for us to understand. Happiness tends to focus on good circumstances and, and is more temporary in nature. And so if we have a chance be, or choice between ha mere happiness or deep abiding joy, we should choose joy. That's what Paul's experience was. I mean, this guy was writing this from prison. And a Roman prison could not be a happy place, all right? It's not one of your first choices that you would want to go to and spend your time. But that's where he was. And he was hanging, hanging over his head was this possible death sentence. And so these were not good times. These were not good circumstances. But... When you read the book of Philippians, you sense that he had joy in his heart. And that was what the difference was. So, in chapter 1, God reveals through the Apostle Paul that joy of life is found when one makes Christ his life. Okay? He makes Christ his life. And then, chapter 2, joy is found when believer has the mind of Christ. Getting around in this world is not having this uh, me, myself, and I kind of mentality, but it was having this mentality of others before ourselves. It was involved having a mindset of humility as we deal with people. That's where joy is really found. 
And then when we came to chapter 3, joy is found when the believer makes Christ his goal. To be like Christ, his goal of his life. And that's what Paul does. He begins to set for us, one by one, all the ways of us really achieving joy. And so it all revolves around Christ. But the big question that is how this uh, how does one achieve this is very difficult and this achieve this very difficult and endless pursuit. As we see, we've already learned last week that this won't finally happen and be finally achieved until we are in the presence of God. But we must still live here and we still must press on. That's what Paul did. Paul had this relentless pursuit of personal holiness and Christ-likeness. He just wasn't going to let this go just because it was difficult or just because it seemed so impossible. He looked at being like Christ, like something he was going to continually go for. And so this was his um, point as he brings us into the latter half of chapter 3. So as we go through this, I want to turn your attention to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. 17 through 21. Now, there's just a few simple points, and you should be able to get them very quickly. The first point is God wants us to join and observe good examples of Christ's likeness. He wants us to do that. Look at verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul reminds us to follow him and observe others who follow this life pattern of Christ's likeness. If you take this apart, you look at verse 10, he says, join in following. The word join is a command. It's a command, okay? It's not a suggestion or a request, but an order. Paul says, definitely, definitely, if you want to go in Christ, join uh, in following my example. Now, at first you might say, wow, Paul is really brash. (laughs) For him to go out and say, follow me, you know, follow me kind of thing. But you have to understand that he puts this in context. If you took this out of context, yeah, you might feel that very way. But if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, he says the same thing, but look at what he says. Be imitators of me, just as I also am, I am, I am of Christ, he says. Wow, that's pretty significant. So Paul doesn't say, just follow me because I'm Paul. But he says to everyone, follow me as I am of Christ. As I follow Christ, then you follow me. Paul already knew that he wasn't perfect. We read earlier in verse 12, he says he knew he was and hadn't attained it yet, but he was pressing on. And then secondly, he turns around and he says, observe those who walk according to the pattern. Okay. Now, the word. The word observe there is also a command. It is also a command. And it means literally fix your attention upon these kind of people. People who what? Who live according to this pattern. And and the word, uh, the Greek word in pattern, for pattern, is the word mold. And so it means the way of life that these people have chosen, he says. Now, it's significant that he said, observe those. Why would 
Paul used the word observe, except the fact that there were people like that that you could observe. All right. There must have been people. I, I know that, that many times, many times among Christians, especially, especially the really hardened ones, the ones that are really critical, they say, huh, there's nobody around here worth observing. There's nobody here I can possibly look to, you know, and they just kind of look their nose down on everybody. But Paul says, observe those who walk according to the pattern. What pattern? Of Christ's likeness. And so maybe perhaps the first thing that you and I need to do is open our eyes. Maybe we need to be more aware of the people that are around us. That can be good examples for us. Now remember, you're not looking for perfect examples. Because Paul himself admitted he wasn't a perfect example. But there has to be somebody out there that has something good in their life that is like Christ that we can adopt, that we can embrace, that we can mimic, that we can imitate in our own lives. Won't you think it's reasonable that in a church this size, in a, con- in a family this size, in a care group your size, that there are some people in there that have really, are really good examples of Christ's likeness? Perhaps in the way they approach their problems. Perhaps it's the way that they pray. Perhaps it is the way they share Christ. Perhaps it is the way that they have compassion towards people that don't deserve compassion. These are the types of things we are looking for. We're looking for people who are Christ-like in every way. And Paul says, observe these people. Fix your attention on those kinds of people. Now, of all the things that Paul said, why would he bother, why would he want to emphasize the role of examples? I mean, couldn't he have recommended a book? Couldn't he have recommended some scripture? Couldn't he have done something else? Why does he say, follow good examples? Because Paul understood because God had given him that wisdom to say to us, he knew the power of examples. He knew the power of following a good example. How many of you have ever heard of the statement that imitation is the highest form of flattery? Right? We heard that. Aren't you always pleased? Aren't you always rather startled and You know, don't it make you feel good if somebody imitates something that you do, you know? Perhaps it's, oh, I don't know, the way you dress, okay? So you, you, you went out and you, you kind of fancy yourself a fashion person and so you buy this wonderful garment and you're wearing it and then two or three weeks later five people in the church are wearing the same thing you're wearing you know and you say to yourself wow that must have been pretty nice you know people are maybe perhaps you know you were saying something in a care group you use some kind of phrase or or some kind of catch catch phrase and people next you know three or four weeks later a whole bunch of people are using that same catchphrase. And you say, wow, that, that's pretty good. That's a, you know, I must have said something significant. I must have said something worth duplicating here, you know. And so they understand the power of good examples. An imitation of a good example is the highest form of flattery. God knows the power of following a good example. Sometimes I'm asked, you know, 
Pastor, you, you've been at this, you know, <laughs> being a pastor uh, approaching 35 years and, and uh, you know, not, not too many last in this <laughs> line of work. And, you know, and, and what is it that, that, that keeps you in? What, keep, what has kept you in this? And I have to confess that probably it was my first pastor, my first pastor. And, boy, he did not have an easy pastorate. I mean, he and his family really sacrificed to bring us Jesus Christ, bring us to Jesus Christ and raise us in the ways of the Lord. It was not easy. But, you know, he made such a deep impact on my life that it said to me that, you know, you've got to hang in there, whether it's good times or bad times, because that's what he did. And he was just this, this, he wasn't flashy, you know, he, he wasn't this macho pastor kind of guy. He was just a simple, humble guy that hung in there, okay? And so much of what I do and much of what I am as a pastor, it's a result of that example that was given to me. It made such a big, deep impact. Another example that we had was our Sunday school teacher that we had as uh, a uh, Sunday school teacher and youth worker. He was loving, faithful, and patient with us as we grew up in his class. And we were not an easy bunch. I mean, we were rebellious. We were rowdy. Uh, very frankly, we didn't listen to him much, okay? But, but, when we did listen, it stuck. When we did listen, it stuck. And it made a deep impact on us. Of the 20 or so of us that came up in his class, seven of us went into the ministry. Can you believe that? Somewhere around seven of us were in the ministry. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, you look at us back then and you say, you guys are not going to, you guys will be in jail before next week. <laughs> you know, that was kind of the description given about us. But then that many of us went into the ministry and others today are still walking with the Lord. He was our example. He imitated Christ-like character and behavior. He was faithful to God. He loved people and he helped them become more Christ-like. And that stuck. That stuff. That's the power of examples. So when Paul says, join me, when he says, observe and follow those, Paul knows what he is talking about. God, through Paul, knows what he's talking about. And the power of examples is powerful, is powerful. So Paul moves on then, and he says to us in verses 18 through 19, the next thing we need to understand, once we understand the power of examples, he says we have to look out for bad examples. <laughs> Be careful of those bad examples. Bad examples are hard to, to um, discover sometimes. You know, they're very deceptive, but they're very dangerous. Uh, they can lead us down the wrong path. Many of us who grew up in that first cohort of believers in Jesus Christ, there's a significant number of them that no longer walk with the Lord. And why? Because they have decided to ex abandon good examples and follow bad examples. And that's what can happen. Bad examples are very clever. Bad examples are very clever. They're able to disguise themselves as being good people with your best interests at heart, but deep 
directly underlying all of that is their own personal desires. And so be careful. Look at verse 18. Paul uh, talks about them in this way. Philippians chapter 3 verse 18 says, For many walk of whom I have often told you and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross. So who are these people? They are probably the same people he mentioned back in verse 2. He called them evil workers. He called them dogs. These were false teachers. These were people who were in the midst of the congregation. They were in the midst of the community of Christians. And they purported to be uh, believers. They purported to have the truth. But what were they? They were actually those who were teaching against the atoning work of Christ on the cross. Now, I know that's a big word. What does it mean? Well, basically what they're saying is Jesus Christ died on the cross, but it wasn't sufficient. It didn't satisfy all the needs that God demanded. How are you going to fulfill all those needs? Well, of course, you fulfill it by Doing good deeds. You fulfill it by following the law of Moses. So they said, it's not only faith in Christ, but it's works that you also have to do. And so this is what they were teaching. They were denying the atoning work of Christ as being sufficient for our sins. Now, that's a true situation today. There are always groups of people who say, Faith in Christ is good, but it's not enough. You have to add a whole bunch of these works. What works? Well, this, 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 this. Okay, and sometimes these groups have a different list for different groups. Right? And so this is what they were denying. But what does the scripture teach? What does the scripture teach? The scriptures teach that Christ's work on the cross was sufficient and it was complete. Now, we don't have time to go into deep, deep detail on this, but let me just take you to a few uh, verses that help us to understand how complete Christ's atoning work on the cross was. Look at 1 Peter chapter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Speaking of Christ, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. Jesus Christ died for your sins and mine. Make no mistake about this. God was not happy to let us suffer, and so he let someone else die for our sins. And that was his son, Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, tells us how complete that work was. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. The work of Christ on the cross was complete, my friend. We don't have to add anything to that. We don't have to add anything to that. Well, there would be people who look at these very same verses and they would say, uh 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 uh. We still have to have works. We still have to do more to earn our salvation. Let me lead you to one other passage Titus chapter 3, verses 5 to 7. It says this. 
He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. God took it upon Himself to provide salvation. And this was through Jesus Christ's death on the cross, you see. It's not going to be accomplished by good deeds that we may do or that we may conjure up. No, that's already out of the picture. And so everything that these bad examples were teaching was wrong. But we have to be careful. We have to be aware that there are people that are enemies of the cross. They would be bad examples. Then in verse 19, the Apostle Paul goes on to give us some more descriptions or characteristics of these bad examples. One of them is not so easy to discern right off the bat, but the others are become a little bit more clear as we examine them. The first one is whose end is destruction. Their eternal end will not be annihilation, but conscious separation from God. Whatever these bad examples are doing, they are setting us up to be separated from God. They are setting us up so that we will be uh, uh, somehow our fellowship and our eternal um, uh, presence with God will not happen. Now, at first, this may not be so obvious. I was kind of saying to myself, I probably won't know these people until I get to heaven and I don't see them there. Then I'll know who they are, (laughs) you know, because that's what happens. Their eternal destination is destruction. So that's one characteristic. The next one is whose God is their appetite. They live to fulfill their own natural desires, sensual pleasures, ease and comfort. They've pretty much become comfortable in the ways of the world. And they, they, the temporal needs, that's where they're at. That's all they're interested in. They're not particularly interested in anything else. Romans chapter 14, verse 17 tells us, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, it's very easy for us. I think even here in Singapore, isn't it? To get very comfortable. You know, I, I, I fellowship with my with uh, uh, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. And eventually, it doesn't take too long until the matter of food and drink comes up, you know. And so that's all. But, you know, we should be concerned about deeper things than that. And then he says the third thing is whose glory is in their shame. They even brag about their shameful shameful thoughts and exploits. I put it this way. Bad examples are the ones who can't wait to get to the office on Monday morning because they want to tell you of all the shameful things they did during the weekend. (laughs) They can't wait. They can't wait to get to the office or the school on Tuesday morning so they can brag about all the horrible things they did on Monday night. You see? And so... Folks, these are bad examples. These are bad examples. Please don't follow them, Paul is saying. And then he identifies them, lastly, who set their minds on earthly things. Earthly things? What are those? Okay. Well, for this, I have to take you to two fairly lengthy passages, but they are worth 
taking the time to read because I think they define for us so much more clearly what Paul had in mind. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 2, 5, and 8, I've strung them together for you on the screen so that we can see and capture the thought that Paul has here. Colossians chapter 3, starting with verse 2. Chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. Drop down to verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth, he says. These are all examples of setting your mind on earthly things. These are earthly things. Okay? Well, that begs the question, what would be non-earthly things? <laughs> okay? Turn with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3. And we will see what those are. He says in James chap- chapter 3, James chapter 3, starting with verse 13 to 17, says this, Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show this by his good behavior, uh, by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above. Well, what wisdom is this? But is earthly, natural, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. Verse 18, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So, he says, bad examples? You look for those people who are always stirring up things. People whose goal is not peace. Do you look for people who have jealousy and selfish ambition and all of these kinds of things? You look for people whose behavior is in, is, is in, and dwelt with such things as impurity and immorality and all of those things. Those are the bad examples. They are focused on earthly lusts and desires like greed and and in their speech. They are given to anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. So, put this all together. Put this all together. Paul is making a strong case to follow good examples. Because following good examples is powerful. And then he says, I'm going to tell you what the bad examples are. This is what they look like. This is what they're into. And he says, do not follow them. You and I can be more like Christ by recognizing and not following bad examples. But if that were not enough, Paul adds one more thing. Almost like he did in the passage that we talked about last week. God wants us to remember who we are and who we will be. And this is in verses 20 to 21. Paul reminds us that we are citizens of heaven. Look at verse 20. And I'll read it for you in the New Living Translation. It says, 
But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lies and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We are citizens of heaven. That is our permanent residence. That is our final home. That is where our identity is. is. I was thinking about this really hard. How could I drive this home? And um, God brought an example to me. You know, every so often, there's a whole bunch of articles that appear in the straight times or in the media and the news. And it's usually about the issue of expats. Expats, right? I'm an expat, all right? So it's, it's come to, so it has great meaning for me, okay? And then, so on the one hand, you get people who speak of expats and they say, oh, thank God for them and thank you for them because they've contributed so much to, to, to the success of Singapore. They've brought their gifts and, and, and they've brought their talent with them and so on and so forth. Thank you, expats, for being here in Singapore. Then there are people who are quite the opposite, okay? Quite the opposite. And the reason I say that this example came to mind is because Folks, based on what Paul just said, we are all expats. We're all expats because we're all citizens of heaven. We're all citizens of heaven. We are here on earth on a temporary path, so to speak. This is not our permanent home. Our permanent home is in heaven. Our identity is not Singaporean. It's not American. It's not this, that, or the other. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we ought to behave likewise. We ought to be good citizens of heaven, no matter where we live. And then he gives us another characteristic. He says that we eagerly look forward to Christ's return to come and get us. Why are we so excited about Christ's return? Look at verse 21. It says, we, wait for, uh, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humblest state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Because when Jesus comes back, there will be this monster transformation there will be this conformity to the body of christ and what this means in the word transform it means make something entirely different something entirely different so this rickety old body of mine and your rickety young body whatever it is that you have god is going to transform that And not only that, he's going to conform it to the one like he has. Make it exactly like his glorified body inside and out so it is fit for life in heaven. And he has the power to do this. Why? It's the very same power that Christ uses to submit all things to himself. To himself. And so all of that is something worth looking forward to. You know, when I'm thinking about this whole business of being an expat, being a citizen of heaven in Singapore. It changes my mind of how I'm going to look at things and how I'm going to behave here in in Singapore. I want to be a good citizen of heaven. 
I read an article in the paper that uh, there are some countries that felt the need to have people who are going to be traveling from their country to take classes on how to be good tourists, on how to be good tourists, right? And so, in fact, they've gone so far as if citizens from their country go to other countries and create a big stir and actually throw a bad light on the country, they ban them from traveling. They have records of them on the computers, and they stop them at the gate, and they won't let them out. I thought that was, that was quite amazing, don't you? And I hope that we as citizens of heaven, that God would be proud that we are representing him wherever it is that we are living or visiting. Wherever we are visiting or living. So we should be conscious of how we behave wherever we are. We should behave in a Christ-like way. You and I can be more Christ-like if we remember who we are and what we will be. Now, all of this to say what? Is that it's time to seriously reflect on what God is saying to you today. All right? Take some time to reflect on what God has said to you. And you can do this by asking yourself some questions. I hope you do this every week whenever you come and you you hear God's word. And so some of the questions you can ask yourself is this. Do I have people in my life who are good examples of Christ's likeness? Who are these people? Who are these people? Who are you hanging out with? Are they good examples of Christ's likeness? If they are, praise God and thank them for being good examples for you. If, you are, if there are none, then ask God to help you find them and join them and follow them. Many of those same people I told you about, they grew up in the same cohort. They followed bad examples. And it wasn't too long where they left the Lord. And so ask yourself, do I have people in my life who are good examples of Christ's likeness? Second question, am I a good example of Christ's likeness for others to follow? Am I a good example? See, it's one thing to point at different people and say, you're a lousy example of Christ-likeness. You know, and then give them your, your reams of lists of things that they can improve in their life. But it's quite another to apply that same list to your own self. And ask yourself, am I being a good example to my children? Am I being a good example to my family members? Am I being a good example to the people that I have in my care group? Am I being a good example of Christ-likeness to the people who mean something to me? It's quite another thing to ask that question, but you should. Third question, am I willing to work on being more like Christ and make myself available to others who want and need to grow more like Christ? Oh, man, I can't do that. You know, I'm too humble to be doing that. (laughs) You know, I I can't go up to people. It's it's my Asian DNA. It just won't let me do that, okay? So we play the humble card. Let me share with you. One of the most humble things that you can do is show and share your journey to Christ-likeness with others. Because like Paul, who is not perfect, neither you or me is perfect. But the most humble thing we can do is share with people 
our lives and say, let's go together. Let's both become more like Christ. And that is a humbling, humbling experience. So humbleness is not standing there and saying, hey, y'all be like me. Humbleness is saying, let's go together. Let's grow together. Some may say no, because they are not ready. But for whatever reason, they're never ready. Yeah, they're never ready. Okay. Now, ask yourself the question, why am I not ready? Why am I not ready? Why am I making, not making any progress? Maybe because there are too many unchrist-like traits that we don't want to give up. We don't want to give up those unchrist-like traits. And so we say, no, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to try to be more like Christ. That's sobering. That is very sobering. Seek good examples and follow them and then allow others to follow you as you follow Christ. This is all part of disciple making. Okay, this is all part of disciple making. It's one person following Christ and then others following them as they follow Christ. Okay. And so I hope that this is something that will be ingrained in us over the the next few years and times that we have together. We all are not perfect. Paul knew that, but he keep pressing on. The message is clear. Press on, press on, continue pursuing Christ's likeness, personal holiness. We really need to settle those that by answering ourselves, facing some important questions in our lives. And so as we end this thing, follow good Christ-like examples and be a good Christ-like example. Let's pray. Father, as we come together, You're speaking to us. The question is, are we listening? And if we are listening, the question is, will we obey so that our lives can be different? So that we can begin and continue to enjoy real joy and not just happiness. In Jesus' name, amen.